So last week, we talked about the role and position that God gives us. We talked about how even within the Trinity, there are different roles and positions, yet the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God, and are all equally God. There is no higher value, there is no hierarchy, yet there are roles and positions. We also talked about the, the way the church is to be designed. There are elders and there are deacons, and there are other positions. They are different, they are assigned by God, and, and there are ways we look at them. So the position is different, the role is different, but the different positions don't have a higher value. One person is not more important than another person. That's clearly taught in Scripture. We talked about that. But roles and positions do not communicate value. God has assigned the value to us as human beings by the death that Jesus paid on the cross. That's the price he was willing to pay. So he's assigned that value. It's based on his creation. And, and, and so that was, honestly, the first half of the introduction to the little sermon series we're going to be on for a few weeks. And today's the second half of the introduction. So if you weren't here last week to hear that, I would really encourage you to go to the website, scroll down on the front page, click the listen to the sermons, and you have a choice of listening to an audio or video, and you can catch up on that. It's going to make a lot more sense as we progress if you have all that information. So that being said, I'm going to pick up right where we left off last week. And we're going to start with an illustration. So here's a story for you. Plowing at night through rough, foggy seas, a battleship's radar suddenly indicates an object directly in its path. The ship's captain sends a radio signal. We're on a collision course. Advise you change course 10 degrees north. A response crackles over the radio. Negative. We advise you to change course. 10 degrees south. The captain can now see a blinking light from the approaching object. Perturbed, he bellows a reply, I'm a ship's captain. Change course 10 degrees north now. I'm a second-class seaman, comes a reply. Advise you change course 10 degrees south to avoid imminent collision. The captain is furious he blurts out another command. This is a battleship. Change your course immediately. Back comes the reply. This is a lighthouse. The battleship changed course. In your notes, number one, lighthouses are effective literally because they don't move. If they moved, they wouldn't work. But they are effective because they don't move. You can count on them to give you reliable information about land, sea routes, and dangerous waters. That's why they're there, for protection. Not to stifle your creativity or anything like that. They're there to protect you so you don't run ashore, so you don't run onto a sandbar, something like that. And it, it doesn't move. Well, God, number two, and God's word are both like a lighthouse. They don't move. You can count on them to give you reliable information about life, living life effectively, and avoiding the many dangers lurking near you 
that if not avoided will cause serious damage. When we change and evolve our doctrine, we're moving the lighthouse. And that's danger. When, when we steadily, dependably study our doctrine, that's keeping the lighthouse in one place, and that creates stability. As a church, as families within the church, as individuals in the family, we should strive to keep our lighthouse in view. That's God and his word. If we're viewing the lighthouse, which doesn't change, we'll have something fixed that we can depend on, that we can move towards in safety. And it's going to guide us through the rough waters. Number three in your notes, God's best can be found in the original creation. God's best can be found in the original creation. What is the original creation? It's how things were before sin corrupted and broke the world we now live in. And in case that's news to you, be aware the world is broken. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to have the, the tragedy we have. We're not supposed to have the pain and the hurt that we have. All these things are not supposed to be taking place, but they do. And it's because of sin. Sin entered the world and broke it. Broke nature, uh, broke our relationship with God, broke all kinds of things. And, and so now it's, it's not what it was. But we have a glimpse, we have small pictures that we can look at about how it was. And, and that's where we find God's best, the way he created it. Therefore, our original creation is our lighthouse to discover our place in this world or our true identity. When I want to know who I am, when I want to know what my purpose is, when I want to know what my value is and where my value is established, I look to Scripture, and the place in Scripture I'm going to look for the most clarity on that topic is original creation. So in the original creation, continuing on your notes, men and women coexisted without conflict. Men and women coexisted without conflict. They didn't have conflict with each other. They didn't have conflict with nature. They didn't have conflict with God. They had an open relationship with God where God came to earth and walked with them in the garden and had conversations. They worked together with one another. They, they managed the garden. Their job was to manage creation. And men and women coexisted without any conflict. B, there was no barrier between God and mankind. Today, there is a barrier between God and mankind. The barrier is called sin. The, the, the more we can remove sin from our life, first with our salvation and forgiveness from sin, then with our righteous living, the more we remove sin from our life, the closer we can be to God and the closer we can be to experiencing that original creation. And one day, when the new heaven and the new earth is present and we're there, we will experience God's best. But now there's a barrier. In the original creation, there was no barrier. See, in original creation, there was no conflict between mankind and nature. The ground produced plenty of, of food for us to eat, and it did not require a lot, of, a lot of painstaking work. There were no thorns. 
We didn't, we didn't eat by the sweat of our brow. It was provided by God. Our job as given to us was to manage the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. How we did that, I have no idea because we can't do it now. Our job was to steward the creation. In the original creation, there was no conflict in that. Now there's plenty of conflict. We have to work hard just to survive. And D, in the original creation, this was obvious to everybody. It was obvious. Adam and Eve were there. It was obvious to them. God set it up. It was obvious to him. I, I think even nature itself, it was obvious that things were the way they were supposed to be because of the way it worked and, and the, har the harmony that existed. So in the original creation, it, it, it was perfect, and it, it was as designed to be. And, and, and that's what we look forward to one day, but that's not where we're at now. We are in a broken creation. And so in this broken creation, A in your notes again, we must be enlightened. We must be enlightened. In other words, we must be shown. It's no longer obvious who we are and who God is. It's no longer obvious what he has planned for us. It's no longer obvious how we're supposed to operate in this world. We'll have to be shown. Okay? And we have to be instructed. That's why God gave us his word. That's why we have the Bible. So we can look into it. We can gain insight. We can be shown how to live. We can have examples of how to live. We can be instructed on how to live. So in this broken creation, we must be enlightened and instructed in the things that were once obvious because sin distorts and Satan lies. Sin makes us see things incorrectly. Sin makes us look at the world around us and make wrong assumptions and wrong judgments. Sin makes us look at the people around us and make wrong assumptions and wrong judgments. Sin makes us look at ourselves and make wrong assumptions and wrong assessments. Sin distorts and Satan lies. Satan comes into the distortion and he tells you this is how it really is. He tells you any lie he can think of and any lie he needs to tell in order to distract you from God and point you in a different direction. He'll tell you how good you are and he'll tell you how bad you are. He'll tell you that everybody loves you and he'll tell you that everybody hates you. He'll tell that to the same person at two different times because they're vulnerable in two different ways at two different times. He will say and do anything he can to point you in a different direction than God, and, and this is possible because of sin. So we must be enlightened, and we must be instructed. B, in this broken creation, the further we get from creation, every day that passes, every week, month, and year that passes, the further we get from creation, the more distortion distorts. Now, I know that wasn't good English. But I couldn't think of a better word. The more distortion distorts, and the more lies deceive. In other words, it's getting worse and worse. It's getting worse and worse. How much longer can God put up with what's happening before he returns? It could be a day. It could be a thousand years. It's a lot easier for me to believe it's, it could be tomorrow then to believe we're going to last another thousand years. It's getting worse and worse. Sin is getting greater. The lies are getting more often and more creative. The distortion is harder to work through. 
it's getting worse and worse. We live in this broken creation. So number four, when it comes to understanding who God made mankind to be, who he made men to be, who he made women to be, who he made fathers to be and mothers to be and children to be, even what it is to be a male and female, all things that are being discussed and lied about and, and, and propagandized and, and are affecting us in the world today, all these things that are in the headlines and in the news and, and things that, you know, really a while back we didn't think we were going to have to talk about, and now we talk about all these things in order to understand who God made mankind to be, we need to glean anything we can from the original creation and from the enlightenment and instruction of God's word. That's why if we don't get Genesis right, we, there's a lot of things we don't get right. We misunderstand a lot of scripture if we don't get the foundation right. We need to understand who God's called us to be so we understand his instructions. So we need scripture, and we need an understanding. Number five, when we are enlightened and instructed, when we have the information, when we have what we need to move forward, when we are enlightened and instructed, we focus on our discoveries like a sea captain focuses on a lighthouse, gaining safety and guidance. A sea captain who recognizes a lighthouse and is using it for navigational purposes doesn't look at it once and go, oh, that's pretty, and then just leave the room and do something else and hope it all works out. When you can see a lighthouse, you know you're close to land, you know it's there for a reason, you pay attention to it and you navigate correctly, either to it or around it. And as, as a sea captain would stay focused on the lighthouse, we need to stay focused on what we have learned, what, we, what, what has we been enlightened with, what we have been instructed with. Numbers 23:19. if you're counting scriptures, this is not number one, this is like number 14, because we just remember we're keeping going from last week. Numbers 23:19 says, God is not human, thank goodness, right? God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. This is critically important to our topic because if God doesn't change and he doesn't lie, then we can go back to the very first thing he said and did and take that as the golden truth, the unadulterated truth, the truth not corrupted by mankind, not filtered through the lies of Satan, not affected by our culture or our own desires or our own whims. We go back to what he said originally, especially what we can see before sin took place, and we have a clear picture of what his intent is and what his desires are. So anything we can gain from that helps us. God does not change. When he said this is sin, this is a prohibition, this is a command, this is correct, then they are all those things forever. It doesn't matter what their culture thought. It doesn't matter what the cultures in between us thought. It doesn't matter what our culture thinks. And it doesn't matter what the next culture thinks. There's an interesting phrase in Scripture. It says, it says they invented ways of doing evil. Every group that comes along, in another 50 years, there's going to be a new set of controversies, a new set of issues. They, they may not really be new, but we'll think they're new. We'll be looking at them like they're new, and we'll be, we'll be debating them and arguing about them. 
when the truth has already been discovered and known and given in God's Word and sometimes in the first few chapters of God's Word. The original truth about mankind is still the truth today. Psalm 55, 19 basically gives us that same phrase, God who is enthroned from old, who does not change. God does not change. God does not listen to the news. He does not read magazines. He does not read novels or books. He doesn't listen to a podcast. He doesn't seek out the popular or the intellectual or the powerful or the rich to see what they think. He, he doesn't seek anybody's opinion. He simply speaks truth. And, and if we're going to be disciples of Christ, ambassadors to the world around us, if we're going to live the way he wants us to live, then we have to discover that truth and live by it as well. And, our, and the very joy of our life, the very solution to the thing we're fighting, is always found in the truth. Now you turn your, your notes over, it starts with number one again, because I have a related but a brand new thought. Number one, if we allow Satan to distort our God-given identity, we move towards pain and destruction. If only we understood this fact. When we listen to Satan, when we listen to those who represent Satan, when we allow his lies and his controversies to shape our thinking about any subject, we move towards pain and destruction. Satan usually says something like, oh, you're in pain? Here's a solution. His solution, based on a lie, causes more pain. And he says, oh, you're in more pain? Well, here's the real solution. And he gives you another solution based on another lie. And you find more pain. And you just keep going to the same well, pulling up poisoned water. Because Satan keeps lying and he keeps lying and he keeps lying. And the one thing he says consistently is, don't worry about that Bible stuff. It's old news. We don't need it anymore. It's not effective anymore. We live in a different world. We've progressed. And he steers you away from the Bible and he steers you to anything else. And the result is pain and destruction. Let me give you some examples. We talked about the church last week and the family a little bit and individuals we're going to be looking at in the future. So here's some just simple examples. The church. Churches that water down the gospel, which means we don't call for repentance. We don't say that you have to admit to God you're a sinner and that you're on your way to hell. We water it down to a good feeling. We water it down to a, a simple response that doesn't, doesn't require any bowing before God as Lord. Okay, churches that water down the gospel look away from the obvious teachings about sin. Uh, well, we're not going to call that a sin because it hurts people's feelings. We're not going to call that a sin because it, it happens all over the place. Okay, we water down the gospel. We look away from obvious sin. We focus solely on God's love, which is a real thing, by the way, but it's not the only thing. God's love is measured by the fact that he died on the cross for our sins and offers salvation to everybody. It is not measured in, well, he won't send you to hell. Or he'll look the other way. He doesn't care what you do or who you are as long as you're sincere. That's not God's love. God's love is making a way where there was no way. He provided a way for you to have a relationship with him and to be saved. 
Churches that veer away from that become empty churches. And I've seen this happen. You've seen it happen if you paid attention. A, a church that used to be a, a thriving church, one day you hear, well, they only have about five or six families left. And then one day you hear, well, there's only eight or nine people left. And then you hear that their building's for sale because they're closing their doors. And what happened? They walked away from God's word. They walked away from God's standards. They compromised in what God says in the scriptures. And the churches become empty. If they don't become empty, they get filled with disillusioned people. Disillusioned people who think they found God, but haven't. They think they found God. They think they found a place where they can do what they want to do and hear that God loves them anyway. That there is no standard or boundaries or, or anything like that. And there's churches full of people on their way to hell, and every Sunday they hear from a pastor who tells them they're just fine, and there's no issues, and some will even tell them that God actually owes them, which is why they need to come so they can receive the dividends that God needs to pay them, completely reversing the gospel. And so these churches are either dying or they're already dead before corpses. Because they're full of people that think they're saved. And when they get to heaven, they say, hey, we did this, and we did that. We served here, and we served there. And God says, depart from me. I never knew you. And they'll go, but, but, but. And God will say, sorry. You, you had the gospel, and you ignored it. That's what happens when a church compromises and doesn't live up to the God-given identity of the church. And by the way, it always starts with a small thing. Never starts with a big thing. It always starts small and it builds up. So we must be careful. B, the family. Family is the compromise in the God-given responsibilities and roles of its members experience broken families, broken children, and diminished morals. If a husband doesn't do what a husband's supposed to do, the wife and the children suffer. If a wife doesn't do what a wife's supposed to do, the husband and the children suffer. If a child does not do what a child's supposed to do, the parents suffer. Every element is important, and every element can thrive if they're doing it God's way. But when you step out of God's way, things start to break. Relationships break, and, and things start to happen that weren't supposed to happen. And this is a world we live in. These things that break families are being thrust upon us as moms and dads and husbands and wives and sons and daughters. And, and, and we wind up with diminished morals and we're like, how did this happen? Where did this come from? Individuals see individuals who have been subject to worldly indoctrination, low moral expectations and a lack of boundaries are more and more capable of saying and doing things that were unacceptable and unthinkable in generations past. Now, I didn't say they would do them. This is not automatic, and thank God this is not always true, but you are more capable. If it wasn't to be spoken of before, and now it's an everyday conversation, you are more likely to participate. Individuals who listen to the world more than they read the Bible and listen to God, are more capable of falling into the traps of sin in society. 
And this all happens because we allow Satan to distort our God-given identity, which moves us towards pain and destruction. Number two, if we embrace and live according to the identity that God has assigned to us, we can only move towards peace and health, both physically and spiritually. And isn't that the goal? Isn't peace and health kind of the goal of living? I want to be happy. I want to have meaning. I want to have fulfillment. Spiritually healthy, mentally healthy, physically healthy. At peace with the world around me and the God who created me. We achieve that by embracing God's standards and God's identity. So in the church, churches that hold up Scripture as their only authority create communities of people who live righteous lives, love one another, and are blessed and are a blessing to those they meet and have true relationships with God. Is this a guarantee? No. I can preach the Word of God faithfully, accurately, dependably, and, and unswervingly, and someone sitting right next to you can do something wrong. Can, can walk away. Your children can walk away. Your friends can walk away. It's, it's not a guarantee. It's not a magic formula. But it's more likely to be the case that churches that hold up the Scripture as their only authority create communities in which people live better lives. And those better lives interact with one another, and, and we have a better community. And more people come to Christ because they want what's being shown relationships with God. These are not the people who walk into heaven and God says, I didn't know you. These are the people, they walk into heaven and God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. Being a family, families that hold fast to God's instructions create opportunity. Create opportunity. There's no guarantee. I wish there was. If there was a guarantee, I'd show it to you, I'd sell it to you, we'd stamp it, and we'd be solid. But there's no guarantee. Families that hold fast to God's instruction create opportunity for everyone within them to thrive and develop into men and women God desires. Children can grow up. Men, husbands, fathers can develop. Women, wives, mothers can develop. It's called sanctification. It's a process we're all on. When we hold fast to God's teachings, we create opportunities for us to become who God wants us to be. It's much better to have an opportunity to grow and be who God wants you to be than create an opportunity to be the opposite. See individuals. Individuals who study, listen to, and live out God's word are more and more, again, capable of being used by God as an effective ambassador, and may even be used for great things in his kingdom. The positions are going to be handed out to the people who are serving God. Someone who does not acknowledge God, someone who does not pray to God, someone who does not read or understand scripture, that person is not going to be asked by God to be a pastor, to hold a position or a teacher, or an elder, or a deacon, okay? Certain positions are going to go to those who are ready. Here's the good news. We can all be ready for positions that God has chosen for us. There is no person that God does not have a position and a role for you to play. 
just exactly the way he created you. So number three, if we want to live successfully in a broken world, honoring God in all we do, A, we must realize the world is broken. I talked about that. The world is broken. We also have to realize it won't be fixed anytime soon. We cannot wait it out. We can't patiently endure till it's over and, and then come out and say, wow, glad that's over. The world is going to get worse. The lies are going to get bolder. The distortion is going to get more distorted. Sin is going to grow and become more rampant. That is history. That is prophecy. That's what God said it would do. He said we would have trouble. The world is going to get worse. It's not going to get better anytime soon. Matter of fact, it won't get better until Jesus is sitting on the throne in the thousand-year reign of Christ, and then it's not going to be all better because in the end there will be millions of people who reject Christ as their Messiah, and they too will go to hell after sitting under the very rule of Christ. So it will not be all better until we're in the new heaven and the new earth. So we, we can't just think it's all going to work out and it's all going to get better. We need to realize it's a broken world and then live like we're living in a broken world. Second thing. If we want to live successfully in a broken world, honoring God in all we do, we have to realize that God's world does not interact with our past, only our future. This is so important. God will never say to you, if only you had done this. Never. He will never say to you, I remember when you did this, or you shouldn't have done that. That conversation does not take place, because God does not live in the past. His will does not move towards the past. God is not stymied by your past. He, he, he doesn't ask questions about your past. He takes you exactly where you're at, and he says, here's where we're going. It's our future movement, future motivated. He takes you where you're at. It doesn't matter what your past is. He takes you where you're at today, and he says, you know what? I have a plan for you. If you're saved, he has a plan for you as a believer. If you're unsaved, he has a plan for you to become saved. He says, I'm going to take you where you're at right now, today, at this moment in time, and we're going to move forward. God's word is always looking to the future. And then see, our future must involve discovering and becoming the men and women God created us to be. It all circles back. If we listen to Satan, that moves us towards pain and destruction. If we listen to God, it moves us towards peace and health. Spiritual health. The kind that matters. If I could choose spiritual health and had to give up physical health, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Spiritual health is so much more important, so much more fulfilling, and so much more meaningful. John 10.10 10 illustrates this. It says, The thief comes only to kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. The thief is Satan. Satan comes only to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy. He has no good intent. Steal, kill, and destroy. I, Jesus here, have come that they may have life and life to the full. And life to the full means, means a life that has meaning, has purpose, has, 
has spiritual matter to it. It's something you enjoy. It doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen. It doesn't mean hard times aren't going to come. But it means God's going to use those things to grow you up, and he's going to move you in a direction that you'll look back one day and say, wow, I'm actually glad that happened because of where I I am now, what I've become. So last week, we learned that God's assigned positions and roles are not a reflection of value or importance. So that's not going to be how we judge ourselves. They are simply his way of establishing his sovereign will. Today, we learned that we must seek after God's original plans and design to understand who God requires us to be in today's world. And next week, we're going to start the process of observation, instruction, and clarification of what these roles are. We're not going to get political. We're not, we're not going to get weird or anything. We're just going to look to the Bible, and we're going to ask God, what's a man supposed to be? What's a man supposed to be when he becomes a husband? What's a man supposed to be when he becomes a father? What's a woman supposed to be? What's a woman supposed to be when she becomes a wife? And when she becomes a mother? What is a child supposed to be? Who's living in this family? What's the role of the child? We're going to talk about these things. And I hope it's going to give us some clarification so that when we face a variety of things in the world, we have the truth that will guide us in the way we should go. And so that's where we're going to go. So congratulations, you've reached the end of the introduction. And we'll go from there. Let's pray. Father God, so many things, so many truths, so many scriptures, so many, so many ways that we need to look deeper in, into what you've told us and what you've shown us in scripture. So many ways that the truth is already there if we look for it. I pray that we'll find the truth. I pray that we'll live the truth. And I pray that we'll portray the truth to others. I pray that through our lives lived according to your principles, others will want to know who you are and will ask the right questions and can hear the gospel and can be saved. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who's not saved, they haven't yet given their life to you, let them realize that it doesn't matter what their past is or isn't, who they are or who they aren't, who they know or don't know. What matters is that they're here today and they're hearing from you and they have an opportunity to bow their head and bow their knee, bend their knee and say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins after living a sinless life on this earth. You rose from the dead, proving you have power of of life and death, and, and I want that forgiveness. I accept that forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving me, and I will live for you. It's, it's so simple, yet so hard sometimes. Let them, let them comprehend this. And may today be a day that we welcome people into your kingdom and into the family. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.